Uh, Matthew chapter 5, again, jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the sermon that King Jesus gave to his people. Jesus is king. Amen. Christ is king. And we saw how Matthew's gospel opens with that declaration that, that Christ is the one that his people had been waiting for. And here we see Jesus, he, he goes up onto the mountain and he delivers his word, his law for his people and his kingdom. And let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And we're spending some weeks here in this section looking at uh, going verse by verse through this section. But I, I want to every week read the entire section so it really just saturates our soul. And so here we see verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted, persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is not just any word. It is your word. Lord, that means just as you are perfect, just as you are truthful, just as you are all-sufficient, so your word is perfect and truthful and all-sufficient for us today. Lord, help us to live as your people, your, your chosen people. Lord, just as you taught that we did not choose you, but that you chose us, and chose us that we might go and bear good fruit. Lord, it's our heart's endeavor, it's our heart's desire that we would bear good fruit for you, our King, who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Oh, we thank you for your word. It is a supreme treasure to us. Let us hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you and that we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. The section that we're in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which spans three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Beatitudes, and that word beati is a, a Latin word, and it means blessed, and so uh, it's simply a section speaking of those who are blessed. And we're looking at these one at a time, and I would commend to you an overview sermon on this that Jason King preached at our missions conference on the culture of the kingdom. Though we're going to take some several weeks to walk through this section, he did it all in 30 minutes. 
And it's a good thing he's from Colorado, otherwise you'd all go to his church because you get a whole lot more packed in quickly. But anyway, we're going to take our time moving uh, through this. But I, I would encourage you, if you didn't hear his message, uh, go on our website. It's called The Culture of the Kingdom, Pastor Jason King. And he walked through this section in 30 minutes. It's a great overview. But today we're looking at verse 4. Uh, some weeks ago we looked at verse 3. Before our missions conference, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today we're, we're zeroing in on verse 4 that says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In this section, this section of the Beatitudes, it is Jesus describing the character, the heart of a Christian. The heart of someone who has put their faith in Christ received the grace of God, has been born again by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God. This is what he is describing here. This is the portrait, if you will, of those who follow Christ. You see, before he, he moves on to teaching how we are to live and, and giving us the commandments in the sermon, first he teaches on who we are as a people, the character before the commandments. And, and all of the apostles follow this as well, this pattern when they, when they write their letters. They first deal on, on, on the character and, and, and the gospel and being born again. And, and then, then in light of that, we move into and we will move into how we are to live as God's people. And of course, this highlights for us as we look at the Sermon on the Mount and you read through and I encourage you to just begin reading through it the very high standard of morality that Jesus sets forth, I would argue the highest standard of morality that's ever been set forth, where he takes uh, the law that was delivered on Mount Sinai and he rightly applies it, saying it, it wasn't just about external behavior, but it was about the internal heart attitudes. And the truth is that we need a new heart, that we need a new spirit, that we need to be fundamentally changed from the inside out if we're ever going to live for God or keep his commandments. Amen. This is why Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. This new birth is a necessity. And so in this list of Beatitudes, Christ is describing those who have experienced this change of heart that is only produced by the Spirit of God. Those who have passed literally from death to life in their spirit. So their lives and their characters are marked by these things, these attributes. And so verse 4, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. And so we see even immediately that this word blessed, it can mean happy, it can mean Satisfied, blessed, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are sad. How does that work? Well, immediately we see this is describing a kind of person that is quite different from a worldly person, from a person who has not experienced salvation, a person who, who does not know Christ and live for Christ. It, it's Christ Jesus drawing a distinction, a contrast between his people and the people and under the power of Satan. 
Blessed are those. Happy are those who are sad. Happy are those who are mourned. Blessed are those who mourn. We would never say this. The world would never say this. You would never hear someone in the world say, happy are those who are sad. Because it seems on the surface to be a contradiction of terms, a paradox, if you will. But the Christian life is a life that is filled with such paradoxes to the natural man. To our human nature, this seems as though it is a paradox. And it is a paradox to the natural man, the way of the flesh. But the Christian faith is filled with these. So Jesus will come and say something like this, to truly live, you must die to yourself. To truly live, you must die to yourself. Jesus will teach that the greatest must be the servant of all. Now that's not the way the natural mind thinks, is it? That's not the way the world thinks. It's dominated by the natural mind. The Bible says that the humble will be exalted. That's not the way of the world, amen? It's the proud, it's the boastful, it's the arrogant who, are, who, who the world thinks should be exalted. Here's another one, that Christ conquered death. And how did he do it? By dying. Christ conquered death by dying. So, so here we see that, that what makes sense to the natural mind that doesn't make sense to God because the natural mind is at war with God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. And he, does not, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But I intend to show you that though this might seem contradictory, blessed are those who mourn, happy are those who are sad, though this might seem contradictory to our natural mind, it is absolutely true. And more than convincing you that it is true, because those who are mourned, mourned because those who mourn Jesus say are blessed, I am going to endeavor to do my best to cause you to mourn this morning because I want to see you be blessed. You might say, well, I came in here mourning this morning. I came in here sad. I came in here brokenhearted. I, I came in here grieving the loss of a loved one, someone dear and close to me that passed away. I am in mourning. I'm heartbroken over a relationship that, that fell apart. I, I am grieving. I am in mourning. But that's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here. You see, that kind of mourning, though it is real, that type of grieving, though it is real, it's a natural type of grieving. It's, it's a type of grieving that the natural man experiences from our natural affections, which are good. But here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is not talking about the natural man. He's talking about the spiritual man. He's talking about the things of the spirit, not the things of nature. As we walk through this, we'll see this going week by week. We recall from a few weeks ago that when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, he wasn't talking about those who, who had no money. But he said, blessed are the poor, what? In spirit. So this whole section is about the spiritual man and the spiritual life. So to be poor in spirit is to be someone who recognized their great spiritual need. Those who recognize that our righteousness before a holy God is as filthy rags. And the mourning, likewise, that Jesus here is describing 
is someone who recognizes their spiritual need and mourns over their sin. The mourning that Jesus is describing is not the mourning of natural affection, the grief of natural affection, but the mourning and the sadness and the grief over sin, over sin. Are you grieved by sin? Are you grieved by by the sin we see in our world? The, The news stories of Just, you just go, I mean, the news every night is a report on sin. This person was robbed, this person was murdered, this person, that person. I mean, it's just, the news is a report of sin. Are you grieved? Are you grieved when you, you go and you see, uh, you can't even, I can't even take my family to the mall anymore. Because of the, the, the flesh, literally, the, literally flesh that's on display. The, the, the lifestyle preferences that are flaunted. I can't take my family out in public. Are we grieved by the sin that we see? Do we mourn over it? And more than the, the sin we see in our world... I believe Jesus here is speaking about the sin in our lives. Blessed are those who mourn, who recognize their spiritual need and who mourn over their sin, those who are broken by their sin. Being poor in spirit is recognizing your spiritual condition. But mourning your sin is more than that. It's feeling it deeply. Not just recognizing it intellectually. Yes, I can see, you know, like we're robots. Yes, I can look at the Ten Commandments and I can see that I've broken this one and that one. And so in the eyes of God, I am a sinner and I need Christ. And so I look to Christ. No. That, that, that's, not, that's not saving faith. If the gospel doesn't grip you at the level of your soul, your, your, not just your mind, but your emotions and your will, it's not just recognizing our spiritual need, but it's feeling it deeply, this sorrow that leads to repentance. Jesus here is teaching that we should mourn the sin in our lives. And I do not believe that we are sorrowful enough about the sin in our own lives. We too easily presume upon the grace of God. We too easily presume upon, well, God is gracious and God is merciful. He'll forgive me. He'll overlook this. Abusing God's grace as an excuse to live in sin. But hear me in this, anyone who does that does not understand grace. Anyone who would say, well, God will forgive me, they don't understand grace at all. Because those who make much of grace ought not to make light of sin. 
Flip over with me to Romans. We'll look at a few different passages here through Romans. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1, Paul outlines the, the sin of the Gentile nations. But then he moves from the sin of these Gentile nations to speaking about the sin of God's people in that day, the, the Jewish people. He's speaking to a church in Rome that had both Jew and Gentile. And so in chapter 2, he begins to, to, to lay the law down, literally, switching from the Gentile nations to the Jewish people. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Look at verse 4 here. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness... You presume of just just presume that God is kind. Presume that on His riches, just just take it for granted. His kindness and His forbearance—that's His patience. Not knowing, He says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That that. That yes, God is gracious, and yes, God is merciful, and yes, God is kind, and yes, God is patient. And if we truly understand that, it should cause us to mourn and cause us to repent. That if we are not walking in repentance, it means that we don't understand the kindness of God. That we don't understand the patience of God. We don't understand the riches of his mercy and of his grace. Because those things rightly understood lead to repentance. Repentance of what? Repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. So Jesus is teaching that we should mourn. Blessed are those who mourn the sin in their lives. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to to this church that was celebrating sin in their midst. They were proud that they, had, that they had people living in unrepentant sin in their church. They were flaunting it as the grace of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, you are arrogant, you are proud. Ought you not rather to mourn You should mourn, not be proud, not be arrogant. If you understood the gospel, if you understood Christ and what he did on the cross, you wouldn't be proud and arrogant in your sin. You would mourn, you would weep, you would repent, he says. In 2 Corinthians, he says that godly grief or sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. That that rightly understanding the gospel 
causes us to sorrow because of our sin. Romans chapter 6, flip over just one page. Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, by no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that you who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him in baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 11, chapter 6. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Just in case they missed it earlier, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. God forbid. This idea that we, we can, can just lean upon the grace of God so that we can embrace sin is totally foreign to the gospel. That is not the gospel at all. This whole section culminates in, at the end of Romans 7, if you'll, flip, if you'll flip over there with me, as Paul himself personally grapples with the sin in his own life. You say the Apostle Paul sinned? He was human. He was flesh and blood just like all of us. Though God used him in a mighty way, he was not without error. He was not perfect. He had sin in his life. And here he writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about the battle that, that rages in himself between his body, his flesh, his natural man, and the spirit of God that lives within him. And this is a battle that we all must engage in and all must fight. Verse 18, Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh, the natural man. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Anybody give an amen to that? I, I, you have the desire to do it, but then there's, there's, there's another desire in your body, in your flesh, the natural man. We, we have opportunities every day for that natural man to come out, don't we? Those of you running, raising young children, yes, we do. There's... Lots of opportunities. We, we, but, when, but when we're wronged, when we're treated disrespectfully, when, 
when, when, when, when a whole host, of, I don't have to go through all the scenarios. You understand when that natural man is coming out, right? Sometimes you feel, at least I do, I feel like, is my skin turning green? Because the Hulk is about to come out. That's the natural man. Paul says, though, in our spirit, regenerated, born again, there is this desire to, to show the love of Christ. To speak truth, to be kind, to be patient, right? All the fruit of the spirit. But then there's the flesh that wants to come out. I find there to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. What's the law of God summed up? Love God, love neighbor. He says, I delight in that. But I see in my members, my, my natural man, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul mourned for his sin. Do you see it? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will set me free? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who feel the weight of their sin and are broken because of it before the Lord. David Brainerd, many of you will know him from history, lived in the 1700s. He was an American Presbyterian minister and missionary, and he was a missionary to the Native Americans. I know you thought that all the Westerners were just colonizers, but there was actually quite a few missionaries who came to spread the gospel among the Native Americans. They won't teach you that in history books today. David Brainerd, a missionary to the Native Americans, was a hero of the Christian faith. And he was the pioneer of modern, the modern missions movement. And future missionaries, missionary heroes like William Carey and Jim Elliott would look back to David Brainerd and say they were inspired by his life and his sacrifice to go and to be a missionary. An incredibly godly man who sacrificed so much to spread the gospel among the Native Americans. Listen to what he wrote in his journal one day. Quote, In my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted, and I bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. End quote. You, you, you think that the closer you get to God, the, the less you would feel this way about yourself. David Brainerd was an incredibly godly man. Sacrificed his life. Laid it down for the sake of the gospel. Yet here he writes in his, in his diary about the, the, the bitterness of soul, the, the mourning that he felt in himself because of his sin. The closer you get to Jesus, the, the more sanctified you become. Yes, I believe even you'll see holiness in your life. But the truth is that the holier and more sanctified you become, the more obvious and vile your sinful state becomes to you. I used to hear my grandmother, Ruth Bell, talk about 
how broken she was over her sin. And I used to look at her in total disbelief to hear her talk about her being a sinner because she was the godliest woman I ever knew. When I went to Bible school, there were people there who said this literally, if God had a wife, her name would be Ruth Bell. But she would talk with tears in her eyes about her need for the grace of God. Now, this is a woman I had a front row seat to, the good, the bad, the ugly. I can't ever say I remember seeing her sin. But the closer you get to Jesus, even though you're progressively being sanctified and made more holy like him, the sin that remains becomes ever more disgusting, vile, and obvious to you. To cause you to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. There's this sort of shallow, superficial, glib version of Christianity that's very popular today. It only offers this superficial happiness because it doesn't focus in on the presence of sin. It doesn't deal with sin at all, and it doesn't deal with the fact that even as Christians, we must continue to mortify the indwelling sin in our lives. The, the, the rationale behind those who preach this, I'll call it a false gospel, is they say people don't like to be told they're sinners. It's uncomfortable. God wants people to feel good about themselves. They need good self-esteem, and so we're going to make them happy, and talking about sin doesn't make people happy. So it doesn't deal with the, the need for salvation, which is sin. It doesn't deal with putting sin to death in your life as a, a believer, the ongoing process of repentance and turning to God in faith. So it preaches a message that God loves you, God accepts you, God approves of you, God is for you. But you can't escape this reality that at the center of the Christian faith is a cross. And it is a bloody cross. And those who would preach that kind of gospel will not preach the cross. Therefore, they do not preach Christ. There are those who would have us turn to Christ, but make no mention of the cross or the reason for its need. And if you do not have the cross, you do not have Christ. There are those today who will talk about the love of God, but to do so without talking about the cross of Christ. But it is the cross of Christ that shows us the love of God. God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We do not know the love of God apart from the cross of Christ. To talk about the love of God without Christ's cross is to, prevent, is to present a superficial sentimentality. 
a shallow and hollow imitation of the gospel. But God put on flesh so that his flesh could be nailed to a tree. He came to die and to die on a cross. And his death on the cross was only for one reason, to make atonement for sin. To make atonement for my sin. The good news of the gospel is not that you are good, but it's that he is good. Why is Christ hanging on that cross, bleeding and dying? Not because you're a good person. He died for our sin. He took our sin upon his shoulders. The penalty for sin that we rightfully deserve and earned. He took it upon himself. And we should mourn the sin that put him on that wretched tree. Christ, the perfect man. Christ, full of nothing but love and compassion. And we nailed him to the cross. To say we shouldn't talk about sin is to say we shouldn't talk about the cross. And to not talk about the cross is to withhold salvation from humanity. To say that we should not mourn over sin is to be in direct opposition to the words of Christ. Blessed are those who mourn. To say that we should not preach on sin and mourn over sin is to be in direct opposition to the words of the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? You see, this shallow gospel, it doesn't produce salvation. Therefore, it produces no joy, no true and lasting joy. Because this shallow gospel, the love you receive from God is a love you deserve. God, you're, you're great, you're wonderful, you're perfect. You're like a little snowflake crafted by God personally. He loves you. You hear that, you think, I am pretty good. God loves me. Paul Washer says this, God loves me great, I love me too. We've got it in common. God thinks I'm great, great, I think I'm great too. What good news. It produces a shallow joy. It produces no joy because the love you receive in this gospel scheme is a love that you have earned. It's a love that you deserve. And so what joy is there in that? If I've earned God's love when I receive it, I'm only receiving what I deserve. And that's not grace or mercy, that's justice. But the true gospel says the justice you have earned and deserved is not the love of God, but the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned. But the gospel also says that instead of God's wrath, at the cross I receive grace. At the cross I receive mercy. At the cross I receive forgiveness of my sin. His burden, my burden he gladly bore. That produces a real joy. 
a real love that overflows in our hearts towards God. How can this be? The song goes, that he, my king, would die for me. The true gospel produces true joy and a joy that is unspeakable and a joy that cannot be taken away by the circumstances of this life. Yes, though at times we may mourn and grieve in the natural, we have a supernatural joy that is not based in natural temporary circumstances so that we can even go through life, as Paul says, sorrowful yet rejoicing. Because at the cross I receive not what I deserve, but I receive what I do not deserve, grace. The depth of our joy is directly proportional. Hear this. The, direct, the depth of our joy is directly proportional to our understanding and recognition of the depth of our sin and the depth of his love so that to minimize the seriousness of sin is to rob you of the fullness of your joy. We do not preach on sin here to make you feel bad. We preach on sin because we want to see you full of joy. We should never get over the shock of receiving at the cross grace instead of justice. The Apostle Paul never got over this. He constantly would call himself, though I am the chief of sinners, God's grace has overflowed in my life. And this now gets back to the blessing for those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Listen, those who mourn over their sin, those who feel the brokenness over their sin, those who turn to Christ in faith receive forgiveness of sin. That is the joy, that is the comfort, unconditional pardon before a holy God. Oh, the riches and the mercy of God, the comfort we receive at the cross. The joy and the consolation that our sins have been forgiven, this is the blessing that comes to those who mourn. There is no greater joy than knowing that our sins have been forgiven, that our salvation has been secured, that at the cross Jesus declared, it is finished. I do not work for his favor. I do not work for his love. He loves me not because I am good, but because he is good. In spite of all of my faults, in spite of all of my failures, in spite of all of my weaknesses, in spite of all of my failings with indwelling sin, he still loves me and promises that we will find grace in our time of need. The joy and the consolation that our sins have been forgiven. This is why Paul answers this question, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one. He is the only one who can set us free and set us truly free, who can comfort our souls though they may mourn. 
There's a well-known hymn. We, we sing it here at the church from time to time. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. A powerful hymn. You may know the story behind it. You may not. I want to share it with you quickly. It was written by a businessman named Horatio Spafford. And it was written in, he wrote it after a string of tragic events in his life. The first in this string of tragic events was the death of his four-year-old son. Shortly thereafter, his son died. There was the great Chicago fire of 1871 where he lived. The majority of his business holdings were in real estate and his, he was financially devastated by that fire. Shortly after that fire, he planned to travel to England and to help D.L. Moody in an evangelistic crusade. But then he had some things come up in his business and he decided he would stay behind, but he would send his family on ahead, his wife and his four daughters. And while they traveled on the ship to England, another ship struck their boat and their ship sunk at sea and his four young daughters drowned at sea. His wife wrote, them, wrote him a letter telling them of the tragedy and that she was the only one of his family who had survived. He then made arrangements to make the same exact trip to travel to meet his grieving wife. And as he passed by the spot where his daughters drowned and their ship sank, he pinned the hymn, It is well with my soul. And I want to read to you two of the verses, the, the lesser-known verses from this hymn. And I want you to hear what it was that gave comfort to his soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Listen, there is a joy and a comfort that comes to those who mourn over their sin and who look to Christ alone for salvation. And the joy that this produces in the soul of a man or a woman is a joy that will surpass even the greatest grief that we will know in this natural life. that Christ has shed his own blood for my soul. If you will look to Christ in faith, you will find joy. If you will recognize that you are spiritually poor, and if you will mourn, let that spiritual poverty produce in you a mourning over sin. And continually, see, this is, this, is, 
This is where I think there's a lot of Christians, a lot of joyless Christians walking around. It's because they have given in to a bad teaching that teaches them to simply make peace with the sin in their life. To make peace with sin. To make a peace treaty with sin. If you make a peace treaty with sin, you will not mourn over your sin. And if you do not mourn over your sin, you will not look to Christ to forgive your sin. And if you do not look to Christ to forgive your sin, you won't experience the joy and the comfort that comes from his forgiveness of sin. There's a lot of joyless Christians. It, it seems counter, counterintuitive that I would receive joy if I would mourn. Yes, that's what Jesus says. There's a joy we receive now, but also, guess what? There's a future joy and comfort that is coming. Revelation 7.17 says that the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Listen, this comfort for those who mourn, this is for those who put their faith in Christ. This is for the believer. If you have not put your faith in Christ, there will be no comfort for your mourning. If you have not put your faith in Christ, there is no comfort. There is only the penalty and the payment of sin. This is a, this is a benefit. This is a, a distinct blessing that is only for the children of God who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you seek comfort and consolation outside of Christ, all you will find is more pain and more sorrow. But if you will seek to be comforted by the comforter, you will find peace and joy for your soul. So in conclusion today, do you mourn your sin? Or do you quickly just sweep it under the rug and hope nobody sees it? To do so would be to rob yourself of joy. What Jesus teaches us to do is to stare at it right in the face, that ugly, filthy sin, and let it produce in us a mourning of the soul and then to take that to the cross of Christ. This is why Jesus gave us communion, the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the cross. Remember the broken body. Remember the shed blood. Remember why he did it. Remember why he came, why he died. It was for our sin. Do not, take the, do not, do not waste this time. This is a precious time. This is a time to do business with God. This is a time to mourn and a time to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I invite you to stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Teach us, Lord, how to not presume upon your grace, but to understand it fully. Lord, to be spiritually poor and to mourn because 
you pronounce a blessing on that type of humility. Lord, I thank you that when we mourn over our sin and we look to you, that you promise to comfort us and to bring us joy unspeakable, the true joy that's only found in having our sins forgiven. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name.